If you're looking for strong opinions, loosely held and widely shared, you've come to the right place. This is the National Talkie League. National Talkie League. Rumble, young man, rumble. It is the National Talkie League. Uh, we are tardy, or as they say where I was, all retard uh, for this episode because... Uh, it's all my fault. I'm sure it'll get explained at some point. But anyway, my friends, Roger and Dave, together with strong opinions loosely held. National Talking League, we're a day late. National Talking League, because Roger's traveling. National Talking League, so let's do this. I was in a hotel in Ottawa, or as the French call it, Ottawa. And um, I was standing in the – I had my, my bags checked by the concierge, right? And at the concierge, they had this sign at this hotel, and it said, concierge – and then right underneath it, it said, Conciergerie. <laughs> and I thought of you immediately. <laughs> so so they had a f- French translation of a French word? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, they had a two-word – they had a bilingual sign for a French word. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. They should have the English version. It should be like, guy who helps you get stuff. Yeah, right. See? I was going to go take a picture of it, but last time I took a picture of something ridiculous that shouldn't have happened, uh, I started an altercation in a parking lot, so I decided I would leave this one off my phone. I didn't want French people, or I guess it would be the English people that would be ridiculing with that one, wouldn't it be? I guess. Tell me about the altercation. Oh, it was the parking lot story from the the guy standing in the parking space, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, I saw that sign and I thought, man, Dave would probably rip this off the wall and feed it to somebody. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> speaking of ottawa i heard an ottawa oh yeah there was an ottawa headline on on the web and it was like it was like ottawa to build a hundred thousand uh low income housing units wow and i thought that's a lot for ottawa like ottawa's not that big of us but of course they meant it in the washington today oh, right. said yeah. you know and I was like, no, you can't do that in Canada. That doesn't work. We don't think of, we don't automatically assume when you mention Ottawa that you're talking about the capital, you know, in that sense. Yeah, you're more likely talking about the hockey team <laughs> than the governing body. <laughs> Ottawa's interesting. You know, it, they've, they're building like this, they're refurbishing this uh, building. I don't even know what it was historically. It looks like it might have been a train station or something like that. But they're, I guess they're going to renovate Parliament for a while. And so they've got the Senate moving into this building that's kind of across the street and down the block. And God knows how much it's going to cost. But like, it's just you look around that, that place and it, two things. One, um, it's beautiful and it's historic and you feel like you're in the middle of something. But two, man, is it ever expensive. And there's just like no end to the cost. It's a little bit crazy, that's for sure. I wonder though, like, what would the appetite be? Do you think? So, picture Parliament in your mind right now, right? The big part, the beautiful big sandstone structure, the Peace Tower, everything, right? <laughs> Sorry, I had Bootsy Collins playing bass in my head for a minute. No, I'm with you now. <laughs> so you make the mothership connection right there in Ottawa. <laughs> so no, so picture Parliament, and then if someone were to come around and say, "Look, we can sell this." <laughs> <laughs> See now you're thinking about Bootsy Collins, yeah, right? right? We can we can sell this, you know, and build a, a better, more efficient, cheaper parliament. 
Like, would, would would there be an appetite for that? I bet you all of, well, most of Western Canada would be like, yeah, that sounds like a great deal. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a weird time for money in Canada, I think. People are starting to get a little more uptight about things. Well, yeah. When, we when, seem to be running out of it. Yeah, and the finance minister doesn't seem to feel it prudent to run his ideas by the ethics commissioner. <laughs> his whole pension anyway. Yeah, I don't think he got in trouble this week. That's kind of a first for him lately. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I don't know, but I look at I look at the Parliament buildings and stuff like that, and like they're a huge boon to the tourism business in Ottawa. Uh, but rest of Canada doesn't see much spinoff from that. Yet rest of Canada pays for all of that. It, it's kind of like how like federal money would go to you know uh, an Olympic bid, for example, that one city would benefit from. Whereas the rest of Canada would say, why exactly am I putting on a winter track meet in on the other side of the country when we had to crank uh, the average tax rate to 53% here just to get by? <laughs> oh, there's not like a good Olympic bid to get everybody's blood boiling. <laughs> well, it's a jury out. Like, I, I think the, the funny thing about the Olympic bid to me is the way that people really bend over backwards and, and try to twist themselves into all these strange economic arguments to say that like, oh yeah, it's a fantastic idea. Like it, it, you know, look at what it did for Vancouver. It's like, to me, it's just such a crapshoot. Well, the problem I think, as I understand it is, uh, you know, we have great memories of what the Olympics brought to Calgary, but it was a different time. And now the IOC is, is way more corrupt. Oh, sorry. Is way more experienced uh, in running Olympics now. And so there's a lot more demands about, you know, multi-billion dollar projects and things like that. And the number of things that have to be built to the point where it's, there's no way you're going to make money because it's going to get sucked up from somewhere. Right. Right. You can't make like, think about the responsibility that is on the shoulders of the IOC. You know, they're, they're the ones who have to decide, what's best for the world, right? When you're just doing an Olympic bid, all you're trying to do is make a case that it's good for your city. But what the IOC does, they get these brown envelopes stuffed with bids and cash and drugs, and they read through all the bids while they do the drugs, and they put the they hide the cash. But the point is, is that they're choosing for the whole world. It's very difficult to shoulder that kind of pressure without an appropriate amount of expensive wine, narcotics, and prostitutes in your past. <laughs> it's very true. So uh, as I understand it, we're getting less and less cities that are interested in having Olympics. So the IOC is having less and less choice. Mm -hmm. Are we going to hit a point where it's like, yeah, nobody stepped up this time. Nobody wants the Olympics anymore. Uh, what do we do now? Well, I, so I, I think the answer to that question is that the IOC goes away, but the Olympics don't. Does that make sense? So what? They just, people just have a, like an alternate – it's like an X Games gone wild, or <laughs> I'd be see. There you go. No, what happens is is, is uh, a grand tell and see if you can spot this one. By the way, when you get the reference, put your hand up, everybody in the uh, in the audience. What happens is a media mogul will uh, come up with his own version of an Olympic Games, <laughs> and he'll host it in an off year. Of course, I'm referencing the ill-fated Goodwill Games that sprung up in the wake of the boycott of the Moscow Olympics. I think they were held in Seattle. Well, I don't know. 
That's your Wikipedia homework. No, I think what happens, Dave, sorry, back to the point. I think what happens is is uh, the IOC, because they're the problem. You remember when Norway, when I think it was Oslo pulled out of the Olympic bid because they just didn't want to like have the king come and meet the IOC and have like cheeseburgers with them or something like that. Like the the bid, the, the demands that the IOC committee the IOC committee put on their visit to Norway was just ridiculous. And they just said, ah, we're out. We're, we're not going down this road. Well, and that's part of the problem now is that, you know, people are, you know, they know what they're getting into. Nobody's going to this thing blind anymore. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the only way you could make a case for it is, uh, well, it's going to bring a lot of new infrastructure into the city, but then couldn't you just build all that infrastructure anyway? I mean, maybe you're not going to get quite as much federal money or provincial money because neither the province nor the federal government will have any money by that time. Um, but I don't know. It just it just strikes me that like it was fun. I had a great time during the Olympics. I was in grade 12 during the Olympics. <laughs> I skipped school and bought some scalp tickets for one of the hockey games and proceeded to find really good seats in the uh, Olympic athlete only section and got kicked out from there and then moved to another part of the building and sat down and watched more of the game. And it was fantastic. I loved that. Um, but I don't know. I mean, is it something, is the city of Calgary clamoring to, to have another Olympics? I'm hearing now Calgary, Edmonton and Whistler, which is baffling, but, uh, <laughs> you know, Calgary and Edmonton, I was on board. Okay. Yeah. You split up some of the stuff between the two cities and Whistler, there would be such a awkward pause after that announcement. The winner of the 2024 Olympic Games is Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Trebek. Uh, can you be more specific? <laughs> what? Who played in the hockey game that you saw? Oh, God. Do I even remember? I think it was Russia and Sweden, maybe. Ooh, fierce rivalry back then. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a very memorable game. I mean, I remember more about wandering around with my buddy Shane, who wasn't even that close of a buddy. But hey, we had fun. We went to the game, so it was great. It must be hell for the. Uh, it must have been hell at the time for the American commentator to call that game. <laughs> Was that? Oh, just all the names. <laughs> like the names on either side of the team. And so you, you basically have to learn two languages and it's 1988. So, you know, broadcasting <laughs> hockey games in America wasn't exactly uh, a big thing, but there's the, uh, you know, NBC or ABC or whoever was covering the games would have been up there for the, you know, would have been, would have probably been calling it. I don't know. I'd love to hear that tape. <laughs> there's a very funny clip that I saw on Twitter this week. It was from uh, Saturday night live. I think it was chance the rapper awesome. who is a rapper. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he was, uh, he was the host. And so he was doing a little bit where he was covering a hockey game. I don't know if you saw this. Oh, or I not, did. I laughed. It was hilarious. But yeah. So, so folks, if you could find that, look it up, but uh, you know, so basically the idea is that he's, you know, not, he doesn't really know what he's doing there. And, uh, is a you know the the player he's like could you just turn around okay so your last name starts with an S K J so nope but <laughs> <laughs> the way that the uh, the guy who was doing like the desk was was throwing it down to him he goes all right I want to talk about that Rangers offense you should do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was good I mean again I don't I'm not watching. I like Saturday Night Live. I just don't go, go out of my way to catch it. But nowadays, I just watch the clips that other people tell me are funny. So you know, you know what's interesting to me about the thing too is it's 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 kind of racist, right? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, like, that sketch, absolutely. Yeah. It totally was. Right. And so here we are laughing at it. And then this whole Lena Dunham thing is happening. But we're very casually saying black people don't know anything about hockey. But at the same time, we're compounding it with they sure know basketball, though. <laughs> so, like, that's the whole premise of that thing is like the guy they, they wrote in that he covers the Knicks. Instead of just like it could have been just as funny. Well, it would have been as racist if it was just like, hey, this guy's like the sound guy. <laughs> but the reporter's out, so we gave him the job anyway. Um, not that I care. I found it hilarious. Um, there was sorry. What's your take on the the Olympics? So I was a bit drunk one time, and I wrote a column in the Metro. No, I'm kidding. Um, but I did write a column in the Metro one time where I said that we should do it again. And part of me thinks that we should, but there's a caveat, and I'm going somewhere here. Um, like, we have the buildings. Uh, I think that we are one of these uh, countries that's responsible enough to not you know, make the $51 billion cost of the games uh, two-thirds graft like we saw in Sochi, right? So I think that it makes a lot of sense for us to do it. But I think that what Calgary should do is push to be the only host city of the Olympics in perpetuity or like sign a contract that says we've got the next 10, okay? Because you're probably going to have snow. It's going to look like winter. The weather is actually quite accommodating to tourists. There's a lot around here besides just, you know, the the events. It's a welcoming country. We've got infrastructure both to get people in and out of here. And I just think there's a lot of reasons why um, Calgary is a good uh, uh, host city in perpetuity. That's so funny because I was thinking that while we were talking earlier that that my thought was that uh, since Greece is in such rough shape economically – that Greece should be considered the home of the Summer Olympics in perpetuity. Right. Well, they hosted them, and they didn't, I don't know what the what the finances were when the you know how how it all came out in the wash. But I remember the the game in the games in Athens. Like I think they were still finishing venues when the games were on. Like I don't think they got. <laughs> it was part of the Olympics, in fact. That's right. You have to kayak upstream, get out, do some carpentry. <laughs> you have to build a bleacher. Speed riveting. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's my thing. I mean, I, I agree with what you said. I was, uh, what was I, 10, I guess, when the Olympics came, were in Calgary, and I loved every minute of it. I mean, I, I was we totally We get it. Up. You're younger. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was swept away by the Olympic fever. Uh, but I just, I can't get past the economic arguments. Now, if you told me it was a guaranteed moneymaker, I'd say do it every time. Yeah, and that's the problem is I don't think it ever is a guaranteed anything anymore. Um, it, it strikes me most of the tickets are sold locally. Uh, you have people coming in from other places, but if I remember, it's something like 90% of the tickets end up you know, being sold locally or, or within the country, I guess. Uh, and the, usually there's a few events that don't sell out and they're kind of giving away the tickets towards the end. I mean, hockey would be insane, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I was reading a stat about the last Olympics and I think it was 80% of the country they figured was actually watching the game. Just crazy. Yeah, it's nuts, right? It's nuts. Yeah, do you remember? And, and I believe it. Like, the, I have no reason to doubt that that is true. Well, I liked it when, you know, in 2002 in Salt Lake City, when it was really pumped up, you know, Canada had had lost or not met, not, yeah, not meddled in uh, Nagano, I guess. And, um, you know, they, like they built that up and it was like Gretzky built the team and the whole backstory behind it. And I watched that game in my apartment in Vancouver and 
they were showing like the busiest streets in the country. Like they had a camera on Young Street and there's nobody on Young Street. Like everybody was watching that game. It was unbelievable. Unreal. And then there's like the when the sound, right? When the overtime goal was scored, when Crosby yeah. scores. Like you can hear it across the city, right? Yeah. So a friend of mine Brilliant. is Kevin Newman and he was live on the air um doing I guess a news hit or something when Crosby scored that goal. And he stopped like he was at mid sentence and he could, he could hear all the car horns honking. So he was delivering, he was trying to present news and then he just kind of perked up and went, so, something's happened. And then he got it in his ear, right? That Crosby had scored. And it was kind of an interesting way to interesting video. Let's see if I can find that video actually. That's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Do you ever do the, do you ever do the loony thing now? Like this is a famous story, of course, that, you know, whenever they're doing the ice, the, uh, the Canadians that make the ice for the Olympic Games or for the World Cup Games or whatever, they always put a loony at center ice. They bury a loony, right? right. Uh, so I started doing this. Um, it's like when we do a big Lego build, I always put a loony underneath it. Uh, when we when we had our hot tub installed, I put a loony in the gravel underneath. <laughs> That's cool. I like that. How many I like dump- it. It's kind of a fine custom. How much has this custom cost you thus far? It's, uh, it's like $85 so far. <laughs> <laughs> See, I want to do the thing where like, I, w- I would like to be fantastically wealthy, right? So if I were a billionaire, I would legitimately do this. I would take like, uh, what's a good number? Like $40,000. Um, and I would maybe try to get it in like $2 bills. Okay. And then you put it in like a brown paper bag and then you put it in your attic. And the problem with this is you'll never hear the story, but there's going to be like a news story where a contractor was installing a dormer and <laughs> look what he found. <laughs> and then you got to put a note in there, though. It says, if you're not the owner of this house, you have to give the money to the owner. Otherwise, a curse will fall upon ye. <laughs> ah, right. So, yeah. So Olympics, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I mean, infrastructure is good. It's good to have that stuff. It'd be a hell of a party. I think there's a lot of pluses. The money's a minus. But if I can put my politics hat on for a second, we're going to be so far in debt by the time that happens. It's not going to matter. So fucking spend it. Why not? (laughs) Right? Both the federal and provincial government are just running the budgets into the ground. The city's not that far behind them. (laughs) Right? Everybody's behind, so whatever. Let's jump on the trend. Well, I like yeah, what, what Trevor Toom told us on this podcast way back, you know, quite quite a few months ago, when he said that um, these people can't like predict what the economy is going to look like in twenty twenty four. Like to say that it's going to be a boost to the economy. How do they know what the economy is going to be doing? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. All right, um, what what would it do though for the Airbnb business in this city? Do you think because that that's kind of being questioned right now. Oh, oh, well, absolutely. It would be big business. Uh, there are a lot of Airbnbers in Cal. I guess people come to Calgary and want a place to stay. There are, that makes sense. There are yeah. so many Airbnbs in this uh, city, Dave, that it is the topic of one of our favorite features. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, Let me clear my throat. <laughs> yeah. So, Ward Sutherland who is a counselor in Ward 1. As you know, Dave is one of the conservative voices yes. on, on council. Clearly, he won, so he's the counselor. That makes sense. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Ward Ward, ward 1 w- counselor. No, sorry, Dave. We no, know that he won. No, Dave, you misheard me. What I'm saying is that Ward Sutherland is the counselor yes. in Ward 1. Yeah, well, yes, Ward 1. That's why he's the counselor. Yes. 
Yes. But that's not what I'm saying. I don't understand what you're saying. Ward is the counselor for Ward 1. Okay. So what you're saying is when the pitcher throws the ball. (laughs) (laughs) So um, Ward Sutherland, I guess, wants to see some regulation on short-term rentals in the city. He's talking specifically about Airbnb. Now – Here's here's what bothers me about this so far. I would like it if a counselor, a politician, when they're presenting a new idea, uh, such as we need to regulate Airbnb, would come at this without uh, an anecdote, but rather with some some form of a statistical, some empirical argument that we can then leap forward from, okay? Because mm-hmm. instead what I get is this quote from Ward uh, that ran in the Herald. Quote, We have one house, for example, that rents out five rooms. Imagine you're living beside them and four houses down. You're getting constantly, every few nights, someone banging on your door at 1 a.m. saying, are you the rental place? There's been so many scenarios that I couldn't imagine that I found out people have to live with now. We need to address it as soon as possible. So let me just tell you why this is really upsetting to me. What Ward is talking about is not a problem with Airbnb. He's talking about a problem with people knocking on your door at 1 a.m. asking you if this is the place. That has nothing to do with Airbnb. That has to do with uh, people not knowing where they are. It also has to do with people causing a disturbance in the middle of the night. Now, we have bylaws for that. So if you'd really like to address that, then go ahead and lobby to have those bylaws strengthened. Now, let's suppose that I'm hosting an Airbnb. I don't think that I should lose that privilege because of one jackass who's way up in the in the Northwest. Are we really going to start doing uh, uh, bylaws and laws in the city of Calgary uh, to, just to help protect one person? <laughs> like, is that is that city business? So my challenge then is is to instead of coming out with this anecdote and saying, "Oh, it's got to stop," this poor guy's getting his door knocked on at one in the morning. Instead of saying that, tell that renter, I appreciate your concern. Let me look into this. Or not that renter, that that you know, that individual constituent. I appreciate it. Let me look into this. And then come to the newspaper with something like this. Look, we have seen this many complaints, and, and they all relate to uh short-term rentals and Airbnbs. And we get fewer complaints. Uh, out of uh, in areas where there are hotels. So da 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 da. Ergo, we have reason to believe that we need to regulate this somehow. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, agreed. Um, but he doesn't need to because people will clearly vote him in no matter what he says. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't know. I this to me is about private property, right? If I if I want to rent out five rooms in my house, should I not be allowed to do that? Well, so and so now we're into this idea of the <clears throat> excuse me these disruptive technologies, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, got to disrupt things! Come on, guys, let's disrupt things. Uh, so you get your Ubers coming in and disrupting the taxi services, and then you get the Airbnbs disrupting the hotel concept. So uh, I don't really have a strong opinion. I don't have a big dog in this fight. Um, except I know that San Francisco's run into problems with Airbnb, and I also read an article about a small town. <clears throat> Excuse me, I got a frog of some kind in my throat. Um, Some kind of town, I think it was maybe Montana or Colorado or something like that, where basically it got to the point where the entire town was pretty much renting itself out on Airbnb. And then people who worked in town or 
wanted to live in town were getting priced out of the market. So I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, in a way, you're just sort of skirting around the issue of a hotel tax, aren't you? It's not the whole purpose. You're trying to get a cheaper place. Hey. So those guys don't have to play by the same rules as the other guys. Same thing as Uber and taxis, I guess, right? Sure. But Airbnbs aren't hotels. So if you wanted to tax Airbnb, then I guess you would have a point. My argument would be that you should eliminate the hotel tax if you think that hotels are being treated unfairly. If, if this is an argument about leveling the playing field, then eliminate the hotel tax. But hotels want those taxes. Like the whole resort fee. Have you ever checked out of a hotel somewhere and there's like a mysterious $80 on your tab and you somehow have to pay $40 a day to attend their resort as though there's any value in that? You wonder why Airbnb has a strong toehold in the market now. Um, but the the whole point about Airbnb is that it's not hotels. Like I, I just stayed in one for three nights and I like to stay in Airbnbs because, you know, there's no long hallway. There's no waiting for the elevator. I don't like, like, there's just so much about, I mean, like I like hotels when I like hotels, but there's so much about Airbnbs that I prefer. Yeah. And that's a good point too. I mean, when you're going on a vacation or something like that, it's a great way to save a bunch of cash. Um. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is I don't have a strong opinion either way on this. <laughs> well, you know, if you want to argue for regulation of Airbnb, then I just I need to know what the what the harm is that we're trying to prevent. Like in the in the whole Uber argument, right? Citizen safety was paramount. And so if Uber is going to claim to be uh to enter the marketplace as part of the transportation network, which I think they do, um, then I think the city basically has a role to play and say, we just need to ensure that everybody who's driving on the roads is safe. And they do that with private citizens in their in their private property, in their vehicles. You take it out onto a public road, we require you to have a driver's license in your pocket, a license plate on your car, and that vehicle needs to be insured. So we're, we're fine with that bargain. We're fine with the notion that anytime somebody is going to operate in, in, a, uh, in that particular form of public service, that, that they should be regulated. So Uber got regulated, and I don't see a problem with it as long as it's allowed to exist. With Airbnb, I think it's a little bit different. You know, If somebody wants me to stay in their house, if it's a sleepover, like, can you imagine if you just went to a homeless man who's on the street and you said, hey, man, I'll tell you what, why don't you come into my house? I'll feed you. You can have a shower. You can sleep in a nice warm bed tonight. But it's, it's only for, for two nights. That's all you get. And then you got to get out. Well, now I'm housing that individual. It's a short-term, it's a, it's a short-term obligation. So should I fall under some form of, of restriction or regulation in that case? I like the idea of renting Airbnbs and letting a homeless guy stay in them. I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Talking about low income housing, right? But, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, man. It's, 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 it's sort of strange to me. Like going back to the Uber thing, right? So I'm not allowed to take an Uber, but if I carpool with people to work and I collect gas money from them, that's okay. Yeah, that's a good point. Yes, it is okay. Okay. Now, how about this? I'm not allowed to Uber, but if I carpool to work through the city's carpool connection website and I, collect cash from them for gas. That's okay. Like there's just so much lunacy that, that surrounds this whole notion. I think that most of the time the city just needs to step back and go, what is the actual harm that we have to eliminate? Not try to prevent, not the perceived harm we're trying to prevent the actual harm we have to eliminate. But are you a disruptive technology? That's the question. Cars are disruptive technology. That's the beauty of technology. It disrupts the market. It doesn't disrupt people's peace and quiet. It disrupts the uh, the, the marketplace and makes it better for everybody. It's like saying disrupt because it makes me sound hip. <laughs> we uh, that's like one of the buzzwords in in uh, like startup tech, right? 
Well, what, what does this disrupt? Is it disruptive? Who are you disrupting? Yeah, if it's not disrupting anything, we don't want it. Hmm. No well, time for this. Well, so well, you talked about that, that uh, small town in Colorado. I think you actually sent me like a long read about that. Yeah, it was it was a fairly lengthy article. I'm trying to remember. I don't recall it as well as I should, but yeah, it was it was an interesting. It was a different take on that whole concept. So it's kind of the 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 takeaway from that piece was basically like this small town. Let's just say it's like Jackson Hole, Wyoming, right? That's not it, but you get the idea. So it's going to have a lot of people that are going to go there in the winter time for the skiing, and it's it's got a bit a, a significant tourist base. So these people that own homes and rent them to the you know the the cook at the pizza joint. Um, can make more money renting it out every weekend during the ski season. So it kicks that, you know, that poor cook out and just rents it out for eight nights a, a month. And uh, I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> because uh, what you end up doing is you completely change the service level in your, in your place and you send the value of your rental plummeting because people go there and there's no restaurants open. There's nowhere to eat and there's like no way to get to the ski hill. And so all of a sudden it's not worth going to that town anymore. And it's your greed and malice that did that. <laughs> There's something interesting about that. Uh, sorry. I just looked up the article, uh, crested butte in Colorado. That's crested, butt. I'm sorry. You're right. And, it, and if you read it as it's abbreviated, it's crested, butt co it's a, <laughs> it's my new disruptive startup. <laughs> uh, we'll put the link on the, uh, the site, but, uh, if you're looking it up, it's, uh, the article is called Did Airbnb Kill the Mountain Town? Answer, possibly. <laughs> Kill the Spoiler. mountain? Kill a the mountain town? A mountain town. What's your favorite mountain town, Roger? Ooh. That's a very hard question. It is. Um, hmm. Hmm. No edit here. We're going to think this out in real time. All right. I can uh, want me to give you mine while you're thinking. Yeah, please do. Uh, well, Canmore's a strong contender. I don't know if you really call it a mountain town. I think it's close enough. It's a mountain town. I call it a mountain town. Uh, love Canmore, but I think I have to give it to Kimberly. Very good answer. The little yeah. platzel there. You get to go and eat schnitzel. Uh, the Platzel, yeah. Uh, nice little diner. We went in there for breakfast over the summer. We were camping up in that area. I think it was a couple of years back. And uh, yeah, just everything you'd want out of the little mountain town. There's uh, a great um, natural food store or whatever you want, a hippie market kind of thing. But it's a good place to buy food in Kimberly. It's in a gas station. It's really good. <laughs> uh, I have a, I'm having a hard time with this one because we – there's a whole bunch in like the Cascades in, in Washington and Oregon that I thought were pretty remarkable. Um, Leavenworth is a fun little mountain town. Does it have a platzel? It, I, it's got a lot of Bavarian in it, so it might very well have a platzel. So what is with the mountain towns and the Bavarian? Is that just because all the Bavarian people moved to mountain towns? Is that the concept? Yeah. When they stopped. They all wanted it to look like home? They did. They wanted it to look like home, and they also wanted to try and like restart the Bavaria movement after Bavaria stopped being an actual place. <laughs> so they, they decided they'd, uh, they'd continue on. It's like, oh, and people would go there for a long time and say, I really like the German motif. It's Bavarian. <laughs> It is. It's true, though, that you want that motif. You go to a little mountain town. If they don't have that going on, you're disappointed. You move on. I wonder if if uh, there was a guy like 50 years ago who made a killing on German signage and decor. 
<laughs> A-frames. Right. Like we were in, in, uh, in Ottawa and going out to this, like there's, there's like uh, literally 40 Irish pubs in a three block radius. And they all have that same sign, you know, with like the black, it's like framed, it's got a black mat and then like big gold letters that say like the, the animal and instrument, you know, or the colored animal or whatever, like the name of the pub's going to be. And you know that one guy made like all those signs. He just made a killing back in 1987 and then hasn't worked since. You know, my favorite hockey player is Irish, Roger. Really? Is he allowed? Is he, was he allowed to play in the league, or were, were they racist? Oh no, he's one of the best players to ever play the game. You know him well. His name is Mari Olamu. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> uh, play the game. <laughs> oh, I think far from it, my yeah, friend. How do you how do you possibly follow up the Katie Lang has never done a hymn joke with that one? Like those aren't even the oh. same pedigree, my friend. Yeah, no, I just ah. Uh... Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. I'm I'm with you that I can't resist what like if I see one of those jokes, I can't <laughs> resist taking it off the shelf. <laughs> and now you're just like going, okay, what other players then name with with a no? Come on, there's got to be, more. <laughs> be some. My wife and I are driving by a campground called Beehive a couple of years ago, and it was just like, well, this is going to take 20 minutes because there's a whole lot of bee puns. I bet you that campground's a real hive of activity, <laughs> fit for a queen. We should go there. I could drone on and on about that place. And I swear, like, my wife was like, pull, pull over the car. I'm getting out. Just, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. Get out, Roger. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Well, speaking of the play of the game, uh, we had a, quite a bit of conversation going on about what the play of the game was from last week. Uh, so let's quickly go through that. So we offered up. And, of course, it's so funny when we're putting together the play of the game because I'm always trying to think of, well, what were the those moments? And then I also think that people should have their own ability to speak so we've done that now so we we give the four choices so it was uh the katie lang quip the choices for the alberta party leader uh which was part of that same bit uh your parking lot showdown uh and then your choice so uh christopher says c parking lot showdown uh scott said it's got to go to roger you know that insect that your children run from in fear they jizz this <laughs> right talk about honey yeah, you would have gotten bonus points if you'd actually use the alternate term for honey, as it's known in my household, bee barf. Uh, Neil says, A all the way. I don't think she's ever done a hymn. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I'm still thinking about that. Trevor says, definitely A, subtle yet complex. And the fact that both of you needed several seconds to collect yourselves. <laughs> Brent says, C, uh, your wife having your back plus, uh, plus T's can double cross for the win. Uh, plus T's can double cross for the win. What am I missing? Here? I'm missing that one too. We'll have to, we'll have to re-listen to it. T's can double cross. Okay. All right. Or there's a spelling error that I'm not getting. I don't know. Might be. Uh, Tyler says, A, I laughed audibly the second time I heard it. I had to back up to figure out why Roger was gasping for breath. Charles says, I didn't realize Fiverr was paid in US dollars. I owe you guys a buck 50. <laughs> you, you don't, Charles. You don't. Uh, and Richard says, uh, Katie Lang for the win. Sorry, Roger. The lot smackdown was excellent, but the subtlety and gracious delivery of the hymn, splendid. Yeah. Tell you the truth, this could be my favorite episode yet. Nice work, Jess. Yeah, I could easily vote for the, the Katie Lang joke, too. I mean, I think my reaction to it was, <laughs> was my vote. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I like, I like the play of the game and, uh, people seem to dig weighing in on it. So we'll have to make sure that we're on top of things and get that done. For sure. So one thing I'd, I'd really like people to do, 
Um, and Christopher did this, by the way. Uh, Christopher has been um, mentioned a couple of times in the podcast recently, and, and he's the guy that uh, I bumped into at the Seattle office a couple of weeks ago. But um, so he sent an audio message. He sent a recording in to talk about how you know he likes the podcast and stuff, and uh, and a whole bunch, like look, it was a really sweet message, and it was very uh, flattering for us and self congratulatory. Or I got not self congratulatory, it was congratulatory. But anyway, I just it was really nice, and I don't want to like go on and on about how great we are. <laughs> but my point is, is that um, you guys are awesome, right? The listeners, uh, the 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 talkies are fantastic, and what something that would be really fun would be to have more of your questions and, and comments and stuff like that uh, played back on the show. Uh, and you can do that with your voice recorder on your uh, on your smartphone, and then you can just email us the MP3 at um, – what, what are we doing here, Dave? Mail at nationaltalkyleague.com? Yep, that's right. Perfect. So you can send it to that address, uh, and we'll get it. Or Roger at – or Dave at nationaltalkyleague.com, same thing. And then um, we can go ahead and play your questions or your comments back. But the play of the game is a really natural place for that where you can – uh, make your vote in like 10 seconds or 20 seconds on your phone and then email us to say what you thought. So um, if you want to do that, that would be really cool and we could work into the podcast and we would appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was really fun getting that message from, uh, from Christopher. And it was funny. Uh, we should mention this because this is not the first time it's come up, but a couple of times that week we had heard uh, from various people from various sources about the concept that, uh, I love the podcast. I love the way that you guys talk about stuff. Don't always agree with you. In fact, a lot of times I disagree with you. I don't need everybody to agree with me. Uh, it's great when people do, but I don't need people to agree with me. Uh, but I love the fact that people are listening to podcasts, whether they agree or not, and we can still chat. We can still get along with stuff. Yeah, totally. Even if we disagree, because that's so lacking, as we were talking about in the one earlier podcast, that's so lacking in in most discourse today, mm -hmm. right? Online, nobody agrees about anything. So, and then you asshole if they disagree with you. So, right on. What's in your hopper over there, buddy? What do you got going on this week? Um, oh, say that yeah, again. It's uh, it's uh, been busy at the beginning of the week. I got some uh, some Lego stuff happening. And, uh, and then later in the week, uh, it gets quiet and I'm really looking forward to the part where it gets quiet. Cause it's been a little bit crazy. Hmm. Uh, so I'm doing some stuff with the city's transportation planning committee. Uh, we're gonna do some Lego stuff with them, which I think is gonna be really fun. Sort of looking at streets and how streets are designed. So I was thinking uh, that old, old Willem's going to be a little jealous there. I should have invited him along as my henchman or something to, <laughs> to get in on that. Nice. Um, right, not to not to not to loop back, but I uh, I was pulling up the uh, some of the reviews. I figured we should read a couple of them out. So we haven't done that in a while. The iTunes reviews. Yeah, so, go for uh, it. Of course, we've been putting out the the word right. Uh, so we'll go back to uh, here. This is just November. Uh, so let's see here. Do, 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 do. Uh, Sir Steve 30 says, really enjoy hearing these guys chat. Feels like you're hanging out with a couple of buddies. That's exactly what you're doing. Nader hmm. says, if you're Canadian, check it out. If you're in Alberta, you really need to have a listen. If you're a Calgarian, you must subscribe. It's a fantastic podcast. It's almost like catching a perfect wave on a surfboard. <laughs> That's for you. Hey, eh? That's the magic word. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that was for me. Uh, KBD4569 says, uh, these guys rock from current events, families, life experiences, politics. These guys are relevant and make me laugh. If you live in the Calgary area, you'll especially enjoy the podcast. Five stars and two paws up. <laughs> and then uh, thumbs up NTL. There's a, there's a user on, on iTunes named after us. Uh, thanks for putting up the podcast, guys. I tune in whenever I can. I'm perpetually trying to get caught up. Listen to any previous episodes I've missed. Content's right up my alley as a Calgarian, small business owner, and a guy who needs good recommendations for movies, shows, etc. Keep up the good work and keep me laughing. Oh, hey, uh, email us. If, you, if you're the guy who wrote that review and you're a small business owner, email us and tell us what your business is. We won't give you a shout out if you don't want us to, if you'd rather keep it private, but... Um, I think that uh, a good turn deserves another. So if uh, I'd be really happy to, if it, particularly if it's a restaurant or a shop, to pop in and and uh, you know be a patron. Yeah, well, you know, I was thinking too. Uh, we were talking about Christopher and how Christopher had been going through all the podcasts and and sort of giving us notes or or uh, uh, impressions on episodes as he went through them. Really loved that. So if you're if you're a listener. And uh, you're starting with this one and then you decide to go back and do that. Feel free to do that because I find it really fun and interesting to to read what you have to think about things that I don't remember saying. All right. Have you been watching television this week, Dave? Oh, Roger, you know me better than that. Of course I've been watching television. Watch out. Watch out. Watch out watching. You're watching TV. Uh, my wife has been watching Friends. I think I mentioned that a couple episodes ago. So uh, I asked her to see if she could find the episode where where Schwimmer says that. That's a that's Friends, isn't it? No, oh no, uh, no, 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 my friend. Uh, I'll see if I can find that for you. That is some ridiculous English lesson YouTube channel about. That's oh. uh, like very basic ESL. And I, I, oh. I, I bet you I could find it with like a quick Google here because. Too funny. No, I thought it sounded like David Schwimmer. It I totally for sure does, it was from yeah. a friend's episode. No, when I heard it, when you said that, I was like, oh my God, that sounds exactly like David Schwimmer. <laughs> Rogers is laughing because, and I, I think we talked about this before too, but I also discovered, you know, last week about the other half of the episode or the, uh, of, of the, uh, let me clear my throat <laughs> that it was a, a rap song. And then this week I was listening to it uh, and I was like, oh, and interesting because Johannes is, doing the same thing so it's like does johannes know the song is that how he did it when you asked so i, I texted roger i was like did Ro did is that what you did did you tell him to do it like that right he's like no i just i edited it together and i was like damn you did a good job on that i think your editing skills go unappreciated by the talkies but you're top notch brother well thank you sir i will i will put that in a pipe and i will smoke it <laughs> And of course, I you know so I've gotten everything wrong so far about every one of our theme songs. <laughs> um, uh, so I yeah, there's a couple things that I was watching this week. Um, I finally got around to catching the end of uh, the second season of Stranger Things. Okay, uh, I think the last time I had reported in, I'd watched the first episode, and it was okay, but I wasn't really feeling drawn. It actually took me another week to watch the next episode. And then another week to watch them after that. And I think once the ball started rolling, it started picking up steam. It was a little easier to watch them kind of one after another. Uh, and then by the end, it was like, you know, eight and nine. I was like, okay, I got to see what happens next. Um, it's a good show. It's a quality show. It's well put together. It's well made. I just don't know if this one was better than the first one. I think it was 
more of the same. There was nothing, there was no big twists. There was no big surprises for me in this one. Um, it also sort of used the plot of an old fringe episode. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not, I'm not saying anybody did anything wrong, but yeah, like it's decent. And I wonder if that's what we're getting now is, is movies and TV that are just sort of put together with elements of things that you'll like. And we don't really need to worry about pushing boundaries or, or, or bending genres or anything. I don't know. I don't know where they go next. That would be interesting. Yeah, that's kind of the the issue that I have with that show. And I mean, you've heard me say in the past that I wonder if the secret to that show's success is that it's like really just nostalgic, right? It's not like great writing. It's just that it reminds us well of the of the eighties. But um, yeah, I haven't heard anybody saying like, "Oh my god, you got to watch this show." Um, and thinking back to the first season of it, it was all about like the kitschy Dungeons and Dragons and the stuff. Like the plot's forgettable. It's actually kind yeah. of ridiculous the plot. Well, and it's interesting because it's you're right. It's that whole like the kitschy nostalgia, and people go crazy when it comes out. I find uh, the Marvel movies are exactly the same way, right? A Marvel movie comes out, and people are like, "Oh my god, you will never!" Oh, it's so I want to see it. Oh man, it's so good. And then two weeks later, if you start looking, people are like, "Yeah, it was all right. It was just okay." Right. So you like you don't know who to believe anymore. You certainly don't believe anybody who saw it opening night. Because they've probably got something vested in it if they're going out of their way to see it. Yeah, completely. Um, what was the? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of like like Longmire's back. I'm not to change the subject, but Longmire's back. And to me, that is like a um, a show that relies entirely on its characters. Once again, and it, you know, it's like a it's like CSI Wyoming is basically what that show is, <laughs> right? But it's like the only way it works is if there's some tension and it's like some inner tension and struggle in the characters and you get that. But I just don't, I'm not getting that from Stranger Things. I'm not – I don't have an urge to watch it. Yeah, they almost have to create like fake you know, heat between the characters and stuff like that. And they're adding new characters this season. Uh, the weird older brother character who's just sort of like a roid demon of some kind. I thought for sure he was going to play into the plot in some way or that he was, you know, involved in something or he would show up and save the day. No, (laughs) (laughs) no, just, he's just there to cause trouble a little bit and then he's out. So, uh, yeah, no, I I don't know. Um, yeah, it strikes me that we're, we're getting to that place where you can't, like I said, you can't believe anything that comes out in the first couple of days because it's it's just the people who really want to like it, yeah. whether they do or not. I mean, Stranger Things exact prime example. It first came out and people were like, oh, my God, I can't believe it's back. It's better than the first one. And I was like, mm, I don't know. I watched the first episode and I wasn't dying to watch the second one. So and I like the first one. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just being too picky. I don't know. I think what I want. But, oh, sorry, go on. I was, I was, go ahead. I was going to change subjects. Yeah, I was just going to say that uh, along that line, what I would like, I think, Netflix to try to do is to, instead of trying to give us like seasons, to just try to do the whole thing in one shot, right? And if they think that it takes them, you know, 14 episodes to tell a story, then just give us all 14 and, and just well, drop, and, drop the storyline on us from soup to nuts. And honestly, in my head, that's what Stranger Things was, right? They told a complete story mm-hmm. from beginning to end. But it was so popular yeah. that they were like, well, how about this, you know, this giant truck full of money? How do you feel about that? Oh, yeah, no, there's definitely a second chapter. right? Yeah. Or like spin it off. Like, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't know what, what, what the thing is. Like, 
I think that there, there's this other thing with um, those kids are kind of cute and kitschy, right? Like they 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 were they were pretty good stars, and so maybe the world thinks it's doing them a favor by giving them a second season of Stranger Things. But really, the best thing for them is new projects because now they might well, the, be burning out. The one kid was in uh, it. He was great, right? Um, Finn Finn Wolfhard. There's a name. Yeah, that's true. Um, I watched Wanted. And that was out on Netflix. Uh, it's a, it was produced by Seven Network in Australia. And I think what they did is they did one season and then they renewed it for a second season. And like you can tell at the start of the second season, like they're really stretching this out, trying to like, you know, it, you know, it's sort of like when the spy saves the country. It's like, oh, now he's going to save the world in the sequel. You're like That sort of thing. But by the end, they kind of came around and they like got back to their roots. So it works. It ended up working, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, you can tell when something's kind of past its expiry date. Yeah. And, and like you're saying with something like long where, where it's, it's all character based after a while you see them go through the iterations and it's like, well, this character is now going to get involved with this character. Yeah. <laughs> okay, guys, it's time to just shut her down. Cause we've been there already. <laughs> yeah, precisely. And I also like it too, when you're watching a show and like, they just introduce a major character trait. You know, in the third season, I didn't know she had a history as a violent bank robber. That's bizarre. <laughs> well, I've always been an albino. <laughs> Speaking of albinos, I watched Logan this week. Have you seen Logan yet? No, I have not seen Logan yet. How is it so late to the game watching? It was good. It was okay. good. It was really well done. Uh, same problem, though. Like the script was pretty straightforward. There was nothing surprising. It pretty much just played out. Almost exactly like you'd expect it to. I don't know. Maybe plot twists are a thing of the past now. Yeah, I think you broke a rule, by the way, with the with the non sequitur or the uh, the the connector there. Speaking of albinos, I watched Logan because <laughs> 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 I haven't seen it, so I don't get the speaking of. Well, there's an albino in. It. I would, you know, that's a cool thing. That's a great subject changer. Like if you're ever talking to someone and they're just boring the shit out of you. Then you can change the subject as long as you reference the last thing they said. They'll feel like they're involved. Huh. So if you just, I, go, thought, you were, I thought you were going to say like you should always just say, "Well, speaking of albino, uh. <laughs> well, you can try it." But now if you're just talking to someone and they're just going on and on about themselves, you go, "Oh yeah, yeah. speaking of India, um, have you had the steak sandwich here?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it. You have to start doing that, I think. You'd have to be with a really unaware person to pull that off, I think. Don't you think? Like, I think most people yeah, so would catch that one. So not with me, then. No, I don't think I could pull that on you. No, because I am aware. So aware that you invented the... And then I found 20 bucks. And also, it's my name. No. Shit. I'm so unaware. No, that's my that joke. Was, that, that's my, not the play of the game. My last way. name's not where, so I was technically correct as well. Well, if you're with me, you see, then you'd be aware with aware. If I were you. Um, yeah. Hey, speaking so. Of, <laughs> speaking of killer wordplay. <laughs> Ooh, hey, I saw Justice League. You want to talk about that? Any good? I liked it. Uh, who's Batman. Who's Bat? Well, Batman's Bruce Wayne. Uh, now, in this film, he's played by the Baffleck. By the Baffleck? Okay. Baffleck, yeah. Because I still haven't seen the Superman Batman movie. 
uh, Batman versus Superman? Yeah, that's the one because uh, I the heard too many Dawn people say it's justice. Yeah, I'd say it's terrible. Well, okay. So, what else did you like superhero wise? Did you see Man of Steel? No. Okay. Well, then you have no frame of reference. I have no frame of reference. I hear my problem is is that uh, a I don't get to go to the movies that often as often as I should, and b um, I I've there have been too many bad superhero movies. Like I I thought Wonder Woman was good, so I watched that. Uh, I thought Batman Begins was good, and like you got to understand, like Batman to me was like that was my childhood escape. Like I bought the comics, I loved it, and it was like that was where I went to hide, right? That and a baseball field, and um, I didn't make it through the Dark Knight. You know, that's, really? Wow. Yeah. You so, know, so you you just don't like the the sort of the darker aspect of the character. You're not a Frank Miller fan. Uh, I just thought that movie was. Bad. Right? That was a shitty movie. <laughs> like just straight up. It, it wasn't so much about how Batman was portrayed. I was just really bored watching that movie. So yeah, maybe I should just give it another run. But didn't well, work. Well, Batman so Begins was great. I thought it was really interesting. It was uh, it was well put together. I think arguably, uh, Dark Knight was took everything that it did and did it a little better. So I don't know. Maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it's not for you. Uh, or maybe you just caught it in a bad mood. I don't know. Maybe I was thinking too much about the shooting that, oh, that occurred at that Aurora. Movie in Aurora, Colorado. Yeah. Uh, no, I like that. Usually it's the third movie in that series that people aren't fond of. Which was that? The, the Dark Knight Returns? Correct. Yeah. Haven't even tried yeah. it. Yeah. Haven't even put my foot in the shoe. So, you know what? I don't know what to tell you. Um, I don't think you have to go back and watch either Superman film to enjoy or watch Justice League. Uh, there's lots of people who hated Batman versus Superman. I'm not one of them. And I will stand by my uh, my judgment of that film. Uh, I loved Man of Steel. I thought it was great. Uh, I thought Batman versus Superman was fine. The extended version was better. But most people don't want to watch three hours worth of of Superman. They're wrong. <laughs> uh, and uh, Justice League had a lot of fun things. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it had a lot of fun things going on for it. So the character of the Flash, who we're familiar with from various forms, in this film, he the thing that I loved is he's portrayed as a very young guy. He's just started into the hero game. Mm-hmm. He's got no cred, um, and he he's scared of a lot of stuff. Like they go, they go into a room and there's supposed to be some bugs. And he's like, I don't, I don't like bugs. I, I don't know if I want to go in there. Right. And then there's a bunch of guys with guns and he's like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, I've never, you know, never dealt with that before. I'm, I, you know, and so he's kind of panicky a little bit. And so Batman's kind of like, go and, and, and go save one person. That's all I want you to do. Go save one person. And he's like, and then what? Then you'll know what to do. Right. And so there's a scene, of course, he goes in, he pulls one person out at super speed and brings them back. And then he's like, oh, yeah. And he just goes back and grabs the next person. So the things that I love about this character is that for the longest time in the film, he does nothing aggressive. He does nothing to attack anybody else. He's just sort of like a support guy. He's a logistics guy. He's helping the other heroes. And that I haven't seen before. I thought that was so interesting, right? That you have a hero who has no interest in attacking anything. He's just there to help people, right? Make sure everybody's okay during the big fight. Yeah. Wasn't that – so he's basically like sober Hancock. <laughs> sure. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the the other interesting – sorry, I'm going on and on. But the other interesting thing, thing is that I don't remember – 
Barry Allen, the Flash, as ever being portrayed as being Jewish. And in the film, he's very much so. Oh, really? Um, you, do you understand what I mean when I say the word nebbish? Uh, please describe. Yeah. So, so he's, uh, you know, he's a bit uh, kind of like Woody Allen where oh, you're like, okay. I'm not sure what's going on, but I'm going to, you know, this yeah. is really interesting. Wow. This is really happening so fast kind of thing. And is a bit overwhelming. And so it's that, right. That's the, the sort of character that you get. And again, I was like, I've never seen this character before. It's super interesting. Wow. Okay. That's, that's actually enough to draw me into that movie now. I kind of want to see it. Oh, okay. Um, is the Green Lantern in it? Uh, oh, that's a tricky question. There's a Green Lantern in it. Uh, it is a tricky question when you mm. start to say there are many Green Lanterns. Which well, there are, are many Green Lanterns. Uh, there is a Green Lantern portrayed in this film. Uh, I don't think it's spoiling anything to say he's not part of the Justice League, but he's part of the backstory in the story. Right. I see. I like the. I think it'd be funny if the Flash, if there was like a a movie where he's accused of sexual uh, sexual harassment. Just like everybody else is being right now, and then like it, the obvious joke comes out that he's not called that because he's really fast, <laughs> and then they spend some time explaining that, and then they've got to like suspend him from the Justice League. But really, they don't want to do that because he's a profitable part of the Justice League. So, <laughs> and then we have to deal with everything there. I also think, by the way, that there's I have three things I think about the superhero The Flash. I would like to see it when he kind of retires from the superhero game and he's just like the world's most efficient mailman. <laughs> right. And then I would also think that uh, we're really forgi- forgiving of his superpower because it's probably one of the – I think it's one of the worst ones. And it would be great if he used it for cowardice instead of for, for good, <laughs> just to get away from dangerous situations. And they, like, like I said, they do so many things right with him in this movie. So there's the the inevitable scene where uh, you know uh, Batman and Wonder Woman are trying to gather the league together. So they go and visit all these people, and they're like, "You need to come with us," you know. And uh, and Carl Drago, who's uh, is right. a, yeah, uh, Aquaman. It's like, you know, fuck you. I don't want to be part of your stupid thing, right? You always have to have one person who's totally opposed to the concept, right? Too cool to be in the group. Uh, but when they go to visit The Flash, uh, it, Ben Affleck is like, yeah, I'm putting together a group of super. He's like, I'm in. <laughs> what? you have? No, I'm in, man. Whatever. Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> Fully on board. It's just funny because he's immediately he's like, yep, whatever it is. I'm, no, I'm, yeah, I'm in. You know, there's a superhero called Starman. Did you ever read Starman? I read a little bit of Starman. It's a little weird. It's a little out there. I don't uh, know if I ever really got into it, but I know of Starman. Yeah. Actually, hang on. Come to think of it, which – what did Starman wear? Do you remember? Starman was the guy who had the little like scepter kind of cane thingy. Right. There were two Starman characters. Okay. Yeah, uh, I, I remember this because I've had this conversation before where I was like, Starman didn't get a fair enough shake. And people are like, that comic sucked. And we're talking <laughs> about two different things. But no, DC had a character called Starman. And he, he was he had accidental superpowers. Like he, he was reluctant to use them. And he got into um, – he was basically like Superman Jr. without you know heat vision and stuff like that. Uh, but he could do a lot of he could do a lot of stuff that Superman could do, and he could even like sh- change his form anyway, uh, like change his uh, his face. So that would be a cool movie, actually. I wonder if they'll dig that one up. They dug up Ant Man. I think that maybe they could go into the DC the 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 anal's of is it anal's Dave of, of 
Yes, uh, that's exact. No, it's annals, of course. <laughs> sure. So the annals of the comic book uh, history and uh, dig up Starman. Well, it's interesting because I mean they're clearly mining everything at the moment. I'm I'm amazed we haven't had a swamp man, uh, swamp thing movie. You know, we had one right. back in the '80s, but I'm amazed we haven't had another Swamp Thing movie yet. Like that seems like a no-brainer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so many different heroes. Although I worry that everybody's getting tired of it now. Although they people keep flocking to them. Justice League didn't do as well as Wonder Woman. It made I think 97 million, which is a little low for the recent superhero films, but also a lot of bad press. And, you know, coming off Batman Superman, of course, you're going to have a little bit of that going on. And Zack Snyder's not the most popular director. What was so all the, lot- the bad press around the uniforms that the the Amazons were wearing in Justice League? Is that the. Oh, I, yeah, I, I heard about that. Too. I read that. And I was just like, you guys, come on. It's oh, too much. Now. There's so many other things you could pick on. But <laughs> leave that one alone. Um so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what their next move is, whether they decide to do more solo movies. I think the next two are going to be solo movies. I think The Flash and Cyborg, no, Aquaman, I think is up next. Hmm. Then Wonder Woman 2 will be not too far behind that. Um, they might decide that they make more money on their own rather than putting them together as a group. So there's no point in spending a bunch of bucks doing that. Marvel's just insistent on, you know, introducing in five new characters in each movie and then giving them their own movies after that. I, I don't know. I'm finding it a little dull now. I haven't seen many of the the last few Marvel films in theaters. Everybody's telling me Thor is amazing, but it hasn't been three weeks yet. So I'll have to wait and see. <laughs> um, I saw the Peter Parker, the, the homecoming Spider-Man homecoming finally mm-hmm. came out for rent. So I watched that. It was all right. It was good. It was fun. Same problem with every Marvel film. 25 minute long final battle that I get bored silly of, you know, right in the middle of it. Uh, but Michael Keaton was amazing. Finally had a good villain. So yeah. All right. Uh, that's interesting that he was the villain. Cause yeah. Cause Michael Keaton, I believe was the original superhero in my mind. Yes. Yes, he was. He was the bat. And then he was also Birdman. That's he right. Plays he the was. vulture in this movie. So that was kind of fun too. That's funny. Interesting. Hmm. <laughs> well, I love him. Have we talked about Michael Keaton before and the tour de force he put on in the other guys? Oh yeah, right. He was the uh uh the lieutenant or whatever, the sarge, right? Not sergeant, but captain, I guess is what he was. The captain who also worked at Bed Bath and Beyond. Right. <laughs> captain Gene. <laughs> Just Gene. You don't you don't have to call me Captain Gene. <laughs> You love that movie. Hey, is that like one of your, uh, I, yeah, I don't know why I love it, but I do. I love it so very much. I like the scene where, where Mark Wahlberg is at, is at Will Ferrell's house for dinner and he's, and Will Ferrell's just <laughs> constantly apologizing for his amazing wife played by Eva Long or not Eva Longoria. Um, yeah, it was Eva Longoria. Was it Eva Longoria? Yeah. Man, that's too good. Uh, yes, a very funny movie. Um, and, uh, so last week there was, a. Uh, an accident at the Calgary Zoo. Oh and yeah, yeah. We gotta. We definitely have to get this in before we re- we uh, we move on to our guest here. But yes, please continue. Yeah, and so of course, um, so of course, there was a, a peacock that accidentally flew into the lion cage. Well, and, hang on. Uh, sorry, wait, wait. Sorry, I got to back up for a second. It was Eva Mendez. It's not Eva Longoria. Okay, you Eva don't know. Mendez. You don't know that it was accidental, Dave. That's presumptuous <laughs> of you. But go on. <laughs> yeah, sorry. You're right. Yeah. So a uh, a peacock uh went into the lion cage allegedly by accident uh and was of course eaten 
And so the, the headline was like, oh, Peacock mauled horribly by lions or whatever the headline was. And, of course, so I sent one to Roger saying, well, the real headline here, of course, is, you know, it's like lions given gourmet feast. <laughs> Would they would would they see each other in the wild? I don't know a lot about where the peacock is uh, traipsing about these days. Are they going to run into the odd pride here and there? I don't know. Like, I mean, I guess it's possible. Um, this is how little I know about the peacock, but they're the close enough. They're close enough to the lion enclosure that it would make sense that they'd be in neighboring countries. Although yeah, that's not necessarily Asian, how the zoo is right? laid out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, go ahead. What um, the first thing I thought of, of course, was I'm a peacock. You got to let me fly. <laughs> and apparently they do. They're more gliding, I think, than flying per se, but they, they've been known to take flight. They're well known for that tail. I think that's their, that's their big claim to fame. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I don't, I don't know them to be flightless like the emu. And, and of course, they're very tiny genitals, right? <laughs> it's right there in the name. It's right there in the name. Um, yeah, I don't know where the, I don't know. I'm not going to get it do some deep peacock research here, which sounds like it's a whole category on youporn. Um but it's what I'm getting at here is like do we have to now have an intervention at the zoo and talk to the other peacocks? Are they all suicidal or was it just that one peacock who <laughs> longed to throw himself to the lions? Crisis counselors are on site helping all the other peacocks. My friend uh, Candace from uh she lives in Toronto now, but she used to be, she used to do the news on the morning show on X when I worked there. And every time there was an animal death story at the zoo, she would just be like, it happened again. <laughs> Another animal at the zoo. And like the zoo would get really angry, right? Like, you know, you, you don't know, like we were, this really takes a toll on us and, and we, uh, you know, we really care about these animals. And it's like, yes, but their preservation is real. Like, the zoo is a conservation society. And so when the door kills the capybaras, when the monkey has a knife, when the, all the butterflies die, when the stingrays die, when the peacock jumps in with the lions, like you've got to, like, that's kind of your whole gig. It's like, it's like if you had a daycare and a kid died, guess what you failed to do? Care for the kid that day. It's like right there in the name. Okay, let's do this. Let's do this. Okay, you, you be the guy from the zoo. Okay. Uh, so um, what happened with the peacock again? Uh, which which uh, which peacock are you talking about? Well, well the, there was a peacock that was in the news this week. There was a, definitely a peacock in the news this week. I'd much prefer yep. to talk about the three peacocks that weren't in the news this week. Would that be of any interest to you? We have, well, we have three peacocks. I just wanted to be well known to all Calgarians that if you come down to the zoo, you'll still see a peacock. Three, in fact. But isn't the entire purpose of your organization to preserve and conserve and to care for animals? Entirely, yes. That's what we do at the zoo. All of them. And and, and did you not fail with that peacock? Yes. What we've done is we've turned the calendar on the wall back to uh, to zero days since uh, an animal death has occurred on our premises. But I, I can stand steadfastly by my earlier statement that we, we, we have nothing but the utmost highest standard of care for all of the animals at the zoo. But if that's true, then why did the peacock end up being dead? Well, I want to be clear. I'm speaking in the present tense. Oh, so from this point forward, you have nothing but the highest concern. For well, the really at all times, except for that one time when 
that peacock was getting eaten alive by those lions, torn to shreds, really, is what happened. What, but what about those penguins that drowned not too long ago? Well, that was another one of those times, yes. we we yeah. But other than those two times and the other times, we have nothing but the utmost <laughs> care and conservation for all of the animals here. It's paramount, you see. Are you or are you not running some sort of elaborate animal snuff farm? Well, listen, I don't want to say that the zoo isn't under closed circuit camera surveillance at all times. And I don't want to say that we do, in fact, sell those tapes from time to time for top dollar on a Chinese black market. Uh, and I don't want to say that this was one of those instances. But no, I wouldn't call it a whatever you just called it. And this is just between you and I, but are the peacocks delicious? Totally off the record? Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah, completely. Yeah, you've really never had anything like it. And see, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's it's odd to me that it's like it's almost par for the course now, right? Like whenever you hear about something at the zoo, it's like ah, oh, whatever. It's gonna. It's been a couple of days. It's been a sec. Today at the cag. Oh boy, what happened now? Which animal died? Should we have a pool? Should we start a pool? Well, they've got a which lot. Anim- or should we decide which animal will die in the pool? <laughs> <laughs> they've got a long way to go before they're that that Danish zoo that like killed the giraffe and then like cut it up in front of the kids. <laughs> do, you, do you remember that story? It was like a learning. I don't. Oh, it's just like the most insane story. But like they had a perfectly healthy animal and they killed it. Well, maybe it wasn't perfectly healthy, but still they killed it and then they like cut it up and they were giving like anatomy lesson of the giraffe. It was just like the most bizarre thing and they got like worldwide grief for it as they should. So you're not supposed to do I, that. Do that when it's closed. I think the PR people from the zoo, if they're listening to this episode, should be taking some uh, pointers from you there, Roger. I think <laughs> they should have spun this thing as though the peacock – didn't want to be around anymore. Yeah. That it it intentionally did this. Yeah. They could do what those nature preserves in Africa do. And it's like, oh, that black rhino is a danger to the rest of the herd. So we're selling its hunting rights for a million (laughs) dollars. So they could spin something like this peacock had the avian flu and was hell bent on infecting children. Oh, no, no, no. I don't, I don't mean villainize it. I mean, literally be like, yes, we, uh, we had talked to the peacock. The peacock had been in counseling for some time. Uh, it was struggling uh, and didn't want to be part of this world anymore. <laughs> it it just it took its first way out. <laughs> we tried to talk it out of it, but it, there was no talking to it. When it took flight, we we asked it to stop and think, but as in many of these cases, it didn't. I think they're going to put a top on the lion enclosure. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh no no no! There's no need for that. They enjoyed it immensely. It's, you think someone had to go back in and get all the like the leaves or the, the sorry the leaves of the feathers and <laughs> everything afterwards? <laughs> yeah, I kind of wonder how you tidy that one up. I mean, I, I guess as far as zoo tragedies go, like where does this rank on the lo- on the long list? <laughs> like where is this? I mean, Harembe has got to be at the top, right? <laughs> Sniper fire on a on a gorilla in your enclosure. Um. The only zoo story I have of note is uh, back when in the day at Loose Moose, one of the ladies that was volunteering with us was a zookeeper. And so she took us for like a behind the scenes tour one morning. Nice. And uh, 
And so one of the fellows that went on the tour with us, uh, Sean Kinley, he's a you know very well-known improviser, does a lot of teaching overseas these days. He's an amazing mime, very like physical, very able to mimic things. And so we were up in, in, in the back of the gorilla enclosure and there was a gorilla kind of in the back of the cage kind of thing. And, and so Sean decided to start pretending he was a gorilla. And so he was kind of standing there, you know, lumbering from side to side. And the gorilla took one look at him and launched itself right at the bars and just slammed right into the bars. Scared the crap out of everybody. No kidding. They're fast, <laughs> eh? They can move. And that's why you don't make fun of the gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dave, where should we bring our special guest into the uh, into this podcast? Yes, yes, let's do that. I was actually uh, in Australia hanging out with this guy when I was a very impressionable uh, 20-year-old. And um, Dan at the time was much older. And it, it, we, we always wondered if when Dan was my age, 20, if he hung out with eight-year-olds. Because that's no, the ten oh, whatever it's it was. Ten years, ten years difference. <laughs> so uh, this is uh, please welcome Dan Duguay, Dan the One Man Band, who you've certainly seen around town uh, doing his one man band uh, performances, which are outstanding. But you will also see him on Tuesday night, the last Tuesday of every month, performing at the Ironwood, uh, hosting his own program called the Who Knows Variety Show. Dan the One Man Band, how are you? Hey guys, how are you doing? It's it's really great nice to, to see you, here. Dave. I mean, great to hear you, Roger. <laughs> so, Dan, what have yes, you been up to? Roger. Uh, well, you know, I'm still doing my one-man band. The band is still together after all these years. Uh, we haven't lost anybody in uh, all original <laughs> members. We're very proud of that. Anybody that's been in a band will tell you it's really difficult to keep it all together, but somehow we've managed to not lose anybody in a farming accident or in any other way. So, uh, we're very, uh, very proud of that. So yeah, that's my, that's still my bread and butter. I, uh, I've got a busy, uh, Christmas season coming up. I, uh, I transform into a, uh, an elf, if you can imagine a Danny, the one elf band over the, uh, the next, uh, four or five weeks, uh, starting this, with this Thursday, I'm going to be at the uh, core shopping center between four and 6 PM. And then, uh, yeah, uh, doing my, uh, we're, we're kicking off the Christmas season there. So that's, that's kind of been my main focus. But, uh, as you mentioned, I've been, uh, I've been hosting this, uh, variety show. Now we're, we're coming up on a year. It'll be a year in January. I've been doing one a month, uh, usually the last Tuesday of the month. That's kind of the, uh, the marker for when it happens. So this, uh, this month it's November 28th. Uh, at the Ironwood on the Music Mile, um, and the the format is basically I curate it, and I uh, so I bring similar to your, what you guys do with your guests is that it's a, a lot of people that I've known for a long time, or they've kind of passed through my life life at uh, one point or another, and uh, yeah, so I bring I got uh, jugglers and magicians and musicians and plate spinners i've had a couple of plate spinners um and it's a it's a two and a half hour show it runs from 7 30 till 10 o'clock and uh, it's lots of fun the people that come out have a great time yeah i've seen it man it's it's fantastic i didn't know that there were that many plate spinners in town though yeah i was uh i was surprised at that too but uh, a lot of these uh 
variety guy types. That that's sort of part of their wheelhouse is uh, learning how to spin spin plates. In fact, I've got more. If I if I need another plate spinner, I can uh, I can probably round up a couple more. You've got plenty in the in the cupboard. It's so. What do you have more of? What do you have more of? Plate spinners. Did you like the cupboard? By the way, that was not bad. Like it was kind of a dad pun, but not bad. <laughs> Uh, you've got plenty of of plate spinners. What do you have more of? Plate spinners or jokes about the band staying together or falling apart? <laughs> oh, definitely uh, more jokes about the band. Yeah, I've been uh, accumulating those for many, many, many years now. Nice. We've been together twenty seven years. Well, that's not true. We've been together for as long as I can remember, but uh, we've been playing music together for twenty seven years. Yeah, who kicked the band off? Who kicked it off? <laughs> it was my i think my arms really started it all i started playing guitar when i was a young young man so what gave you the idea to be a one-man band um the idea came from a friend of mine that uh i grew i grew up with we were both uh musically inclined and uh, we had seen a one-man band when we were, uh, we were we were kids, and then that sort of stuck with me. And then later on, um, I started busking, and I thought, well, you know, playing guitar and singing, and you see that all the time, you know. And it was always the same idea where guys were playing Neil Young songs or Bob Dylan songs, and I wanted to do something different, and so that was. Uh, the idea was that if I did, if I played, a, the more instruments I played, the more people I would attract to my street show, and then the more money I made. That was kind of the the thinking I had. Yeah, the the cool thing about your show, Dan, is that it's it's a show. It's not you're not just passively. Uh, it's not for passive consumption. It's you're not just sort of like filling the subway, you know, hall with right. you're right, yeah. um, relatively mediocre covers of Joan Baez tunes. You're instead doing a real like awesome performance and putting a nice, uh, a nice touch and a nice flavor on the music that you play. Thanks, Roger. I, yeah, I mean, I've always I've always had a different approach. I haven't. I I stopped street performing probably. Well, I mean, I. Really, when my I, I have two children, and my son is sixteen, and it was around that's sort of my marker for when I started to uh, go more in towards the legitimate uh, entertainment industry, and uh, started uh, going to trade shows and and booking myself for gigs and doing corporate events and fairs and festivals and that kind of thing. But the street, I love the street. I love the energy of it, and. Uh, yeah, I just always wanted to do something different. I didn't want to just be that guy playing, filling the subway station. That was never something that I aspired to do. And do you have a favorite part of the band? That's a weird question. Do you have a favorite part of, like, what? what's your favorite instrument that the one-man band plays? Well, I gotta. I'm I'm quite impartial to the kazoo. I, I just love that. Uh, it's it, the versatility of the kazoo has has always uh, been very helpful. <laughs> well, you know, kind of along the lines of the question Dave asked, um, I've I've seen a, I've seen you perform a lot, Dan. Obviously, but I've seen mm -hmm. other one man bands perform too, and it always looks like it's a little bit taxing on the body. 
like not painful, but it's just sort of like you have to contort yourself in a, in in what seems to be an unnatural way from time to time. And so I'm wondering, how long did it take you until your one man band was uh, what would it, ergonomically uh, pleasing to you? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I I mean, I'm very I'm a slow learner, and I'm very much a, a trial and error kind of learner. And uh, it it was probably I'd say probably 10 years before I really had all the ergonomics worked out. And cause I was, I was suffering from terrible uh, shoulder pain for the first while, but then I got that sorted out and even singing wise, I've, I've always kind of uh, like I, I, you, you mentioned uh, us in Australia and I remember uh, trips to Australia where I would, uh, you know, playing at the fringe and I would blow my voice out after a few days and it was again it was trial and error and i figured out okay this is how you do it it's all about breathing techniques it's about diaphragm and uh and so yeah i would say it took me probably 10 years before i got it running and now now it's great i mean i i I have to do i do a lot of uh, cardio kind of exercise when i'm not it's it's like a a training you know if if i'm not doing it very much and then i go to do it it's it's very taxing you can't let the band down by slacking off right exactly no no it's uh and and it's surprisingly it's the singing part that is the most uh taxing on on my my body right well you got to take care of the singer and i think that the drummer should be less hard on the singer that guy sits down all the time oh he's such a heel <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to so, enjoy the puns as they come, by the way. I'm just going to watch them sail past and love them all. So I, I suspect most, if not all, of our uh, audience uh, has never performed at a fringe festival, uh, never mind, you know, gone halfway across the world to do that. So could you tell us a bit about that? Like, what what is it like to, you know, fly to Australia and and busk there and uh, yet like do you have any stories or do you have any sort of insights for us as to what that is all about uh well the the community of like is like you're sort of inferring the community that does that kind of thing is rather small and uh and i can remember that uh, that trip that roger was talking about where you know i spent what seemed like three days on an airplane and I get to Australia and I go out and I, I, I go down to the, the area where the uh, festival is happening. And I see Roger and I was like, oh, hey, hey, Roger, how are you doing? And, and that is very uh, surreal to, to have that kind of experience where you, you've circumnavigated the globe and, and the first person you see is somebody from Calgary, you know, so... <laughs> But uh, I mean, fringes are great for street performers because uh, they're they just they just go so well together. And uh, as long as you can get into the country, that was always you know a little bit of the you know they could kind of technically you are kind of coming here to work, and so technically we could put you back on the plane and send you home. So that was always a little bit unnerving, and I didn't really like that. And as as I got older, I I started getting working visas, and um, I, you know, I, I 
through various festivals, I would get uh, the working visas. But for the fringe festivals, it was just a matter of getting there and showing up and then and then doing it. That's kind of when I was doing my street shows, that's what I did. I just, you know, somebody told me that the busking was really good in Japan. So I got on a plane and I flew to Japan and I figured it out. And uh, it's, you know, I, I, I went, I, Wait a, second, a, wait a second, wait a second, that can't be that whole story right there. I got on a plane and I flew to Japan and I figured it out. <laughs> I figured it <laughs> out, yeah, that's what you bit. do. Yeah. So tell, you, tell us about figure it out. What, yeah. is, what does that mean? Like, how did you well, walk you know, us Roger, through it? Roger would figure it out too. Like, I remember him as a young guy trying to figure out his street show. And uh, he was he was a real hustler. I remember that. And he would just uh, he was he was kind of leaning towards. I'm basically a stand up comic, but I'm going to do some. Uh, he was doing the Saran wrap thing for a while before he got sued by uh, sued somebody else who was doing it. <laughs> Listen, there was a couple. There might have been three or four people that were doing that show or doing that trick, and none of them were getting down to their shorts to do it. And so, listen, you just, all you got to do is be different. You don't have to be better. You got to be different. That's right. That's right. But, you know, it, like, um, I mean, going to the fringe festivals is easy because you didn't, I mean, you still had to deal with police and you had to deal with shop owners and things like that. But you knew where the spot was, the, the, where essentially this, where everybody was going. There was usually a new, there's usually a nucleus for fringe festivals. So that's where you would end up doing your show as opposed to going to somewhere like Japan where I was just working the street, so to speak. And, uh, and so that was, that was kind of challenging to figure out where those spots were. And, and so it would be like trying a place and nobody was interested and then trying another place. And I remember I tried this place and somebody came up to me and said, Oh, there's somebody I see here quite often, but you got to come later. And so that was my trick. And I went later and sure enough, that was a good spot. And then there was always the Yakuza, the the Japanese mafia that you had to deal with. And, and you had to pay those guys off. And <laughs> No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I want to see this movie. This, this is the best IMDb description we could possibly have. A one-man band faces down the Yakuza in a fierce turf war. <laughs> well, you know, I was getting squeezed. There's and 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 guys who do pay the yakuza, they they'll call them. It's it's. I mean, I don't really want to get it too into that, but it it was a it was a different situation, and um and it was uh challenging, but it was also very re rewarding. I mean, the yen is very was very strong when I was doing that. That's amazing. So so I can't dismiss the yakuza thing. Then there's some legitimacy to that, isn't there? <laughs> no, it was unnerving. I they they had these little, and they're small. Like it's a small people, right? And so one night I I, I was playing and I got surrounded by <laughs> these four four or five small men and with curly hair, and, <laughs> and they were threatening me. Like like they were. It was really difficult to understand. But one of the guys actually pretended like he was going to stick a knife in my stomach. That was uh, that was a real low point. And Japanese <laughs> people would hate me for telling that story, but uh, that happened. Okay. 
<laughs> wow. <laughs> but I got a variety show coming up next week. <laughs> oh, man. And now, how many Yakuza do you have booked in? <laughs> None. I hate those guys. <laughs> so do you... Dan, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing I know the answer to this, but do you like when you're on vacation or when you're walking around, do you ever sort of look over and go, oh, that'd be a good spot. I should, I should go. Uh, there. Oh yeah, definitely. That would, that would, um, like I said, I haven't, I don't really busk too much anymore. I mean, essentially we've become a cashless society. So, I mean, I don't even know how that w- works anymore. I, I, I would still busk occasionally at farmers markets and things like that because people uh, carry cash. But uh, and I had I used to have a good relationship with the Calgary farmers market, but they banned me because of my uh, my drum. They uh, they have a no no uh, percussive instrument rule, which they had been bending for me because I had been playing at you know the you know the Calgary farmers market. It used to be. Blackfoot and then it moved over to Curry Barracks and then it moved over back over to Blackfoot. So I'd been there for a long time. And uh, um, so they kind of grandfathered me and allowed me to play in there until somebody complained about my uh, the sound of my hi-hat. And so then they said, you can't play here anymore. So I haven't, I don't have any place in Calgary that I can busk anymore, which saddens me because it's a good place for me to uh, practice my stuff and i and like i said i i love the energy of busking but uh i i just have i don't i'm not able to do it anymore yeah it's an it's an interesting question i mean one of the things that that you get i think when you travel around as a street performer is kind of like these notions of like you know why does this only happen in certain cities and it doesn't happen you know back home for example because the street scene in calgary has never really been good You've got a couple of days when you can you can perform down at Eau Claire Market, maybe Stephen Avenue Mall, um, and you can get permits to do this. But you know, generally, it's just not a we just don't have a culture for it here in the city. But if you go to Barcelona, um, you'll see street shows going off every hour. And if you go to you know New York, you'll see street shows going off in in, in various places. It was like that in Sydney, like you know, on a Wednesday morning, you'll see street shows. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, do you, have I just kind of summed it up there, Dan? Like, what's what's your take on that? Well, I mean, part of the reason I moved to Calgary, I'm originally from Ottawa, and and I'll always say this: part of the thing that the incentive for me to move here was when Eau Claire Market was in its heyday in the '90s, and it was an indoor market that allowed for um, people to do what I did and it was, it was flourishing. It had like, I remember we would wait for the, the, the spots, the pitches, um, it would be two or three people would be ahead of you in line to, to play. And it was, uh, it was thriving. And then when that, uh, when that tanked, uh, there was nowhere to go. And, uh, so, I mean, yeah, it, it, it always amazed me when, when any, any kind of, uh, like the city would start clamping down on busking. Even last year, I mean, in 2016, they 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 were charging fifty dollars for busking permits, and I just thought, you know, they need to do as much as they can to try to to promote this and and make it happen. When I was here, when I was doing the busking thing, it was it was great, and everybody knew me because I was playing Eau Claire Market, I was playing down on Stephen Avenue, I was playing in Prince's Island. I was just the guy, you know, and uh, 
but all that kind of out it, it hasn't been nurtured and and so it kind of dried up and uh, oddly enough now when you see like how i get booked for corporate gigs uh and they they have like a uh uh a carnival theme and so they'll hire one man band juggler plate spinner uh, still walker kind of types and it's all these all the same people that were down at eau claire in 1997 it's like there's there's not a real huge there's a few people i shouldn't say there's none but really it's it, like there's nobody that's really come up the ranks because there's nowhere for them to i mean busking is a great thing because it allows you to get better you don't have to be great to be a busker and you can get better and you can get earn money while you're while you're getting better and so then you can start doing festivals and like i do children's festivals and i do a lot of fairs i'll do a lot of uh, like i did saskatoon exhibition last year and you know those kind of things um and th there's just nowhere for them to uh to to ply their trade anymore and like i said the cashless society doesn't help either yeah you'd think in this day and age too i mean with things like the east village coming online that would be you know, there's some areas there kind of along the bridge to St. George's Park that could start getting pretty busy or, you know, Princess Island if they would, uh, you know, you're absolutely yeah. right. Rather than charging 50 bucks, you know, make it five and encourage you, it to you people. Go, them. What the heck? Pay them. Yeah. <laughs> well, call, call me crazy. But what if you actually paid uh, acts to go out on Stephen Avenue during the summertime so that everything didn't happen for 10 days and then roll up the sidewalks till next year, you know, like what if we actually had culture just constantly while the weather's nice anyway. Yeah. And you know who would do that too is BRZs, um, not, not the city. So this isn't sort of like cities paying artists, but this would, could be the business revitalization zones that want to, um, you know, pitch in some cash and it's, it's not even a lot of money. Like you could basically pay a, uh, you know, um, any busker, like 200 bucks essentially to go yeah. in and pitch two shows and let them pass the hat too. let them collect their yeah. cash. But you, totally. you know, so they, and they used to do that. Actually, right. Stephen Avenue used to pay me to come down there when Earl was running, uh, the, uh, Stephen Avenue, uh, association. He used to pay me to come down there and, and busk. Right. The problem with the $5 or, you know, even giving out free licenses is that that's, that's when you get 10 year old violin players and, and those are, that's, that's all they like. That's all the Calgary Farmers Market wants. They only yeah. want ten-year-old violin players, and that doesn't add to the culture of it. That just kind of adds to the sound of it. And you yeah. know, you, like I, you, you, you want people. It's hard. I'll go ahead and just be the callous dick in this conversation. Okay, what you want is people performing in your marketplace. You don't want people practicing in your marketplace. Yeah, I agree. But you're preaching to the choir there. I mean, it's a bit frustrating. What do you do? So speaking of choirs, uh, you also perform with a choir, do you not? Yes, that's true. I, I perform with uh, Rev 52, which is uh, Calgary's oldest, uh, oldest community choir. Uh, it started in 1952 uh, as, as part of the Queen's Coronation, and it's been running ever since. It changed its name from... Uh, we used to be known as Calgary Choral Society, and people weren't really interested in coming to see our shows. So we changed our name to Rev 52 because 
it's not a it's not a typical choir. It's an audition choir, so everybody that's in the group uh, can sing, and uh, we do um, we do a lot of pop music and rock songs and uh, wide slot. That we have a show coming up in January. We the, typically our season runs. We get we we start rehearsing in September. We re- rehearse once a week. As we get closer to the shows, we start rehearsing more. And then we have shows at the end of January, Jan- January 26th, 27th, and 28th. And then, uh, and then we put all the, the songs away, and then we, we start over again, and then we have another show in May. So we do two, two uh, concert series every, every season. Uh, the last couple of years, we've been doing them at the, the uh, uh, Bella Concert Hall at the Mount Royal University. Uh, I don't know if you've been in that venue, but it's gorgeous and it's mm-hmm. perfect for choirs. And uh, so we we usually do a, a Thursday night, a Friday night, and then a Saturday matinee and a Saturday evening. And it's great. I I joined I I joined a long time ago. Uh, it was probably thirteen years ago. I joined, um, and it was mostly for the the people that were in the group. I had been living in Calgary for for 10 years and, and hadn't, you know, it was hard. I, 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 I didn't have a, 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 a circle of friends and I was looking for that. And so, uh, so I joined the choir and it's, it's been great. I, I mean, um, I've made a lot of uh, great friends, even people that aren't in the group anymore. I'm still connected with, and uh, people love the show. It's, uh, it's just really uplifting and we're, we're really good. We, uh, we have an artistic director named Brian Farrell, who's been the director since 1995. So he's been uh, integral to the organization. But it, it's it's a very unique uh, um, performance experience if you go to see it. Doesn't the band, though, doesn't the one-man band kind of feel like you're you're cheating? Hooking there up is with a all those bit other of animosity <laughs> about that, you know, like when you do these solo projects and uh, the other guys aren't involved, and they think, "Well, what, what's that about? Like, why are you, why, why are, are we not good enough?" And uh, I just say, "To hell with it! I don't care. I mean, I, I just kind of do what I want to do." Yeah, but when you're with the choir, though, I mean, the band is not able to perform, which is, I think, really no, they're not performing. That's true. They've um, got a point. But I don't care, Roger. Like sometimes you just have to do things outside of the band. It it's it it it's better because then I go back and I feel fresh. <laughs> I think uh, I think Brian Farrell used to be the uh, the music teacher at my high school back in the day. Did you go to Crescent Heights. I did. Yeah, he was. That's crazy. Yeah. That's I, it. I re- I remember I, mean, I wasn't in the band or anything, but I did a lot of AV stuff. You, you might find this hard to believe, but I, I was one of those AV geeks. Oh, and, really? Uh, he was always nothing but but super kind and, uh, yeah. and very generous, I remember. So awesome. That's that's wonderful. I think Dave, yeah. Dave actually uh, bought the domain, uh, theavclub.com, but he let it lapse. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been worth something. <laughs> So, hey Dan, let's uh, let's kind of keep going in that vein about uh, you know arts and culture in the city here, uh, because it seems to come up a lot, but it always comes up for like really negative reasons. Do you, from the inside, is it the same? Like, let, let me kind of frame my question a bit differently. Whenever I hear about the art scene, it's always people complaining about public art. 
when you're in mm-hmm. the art scene, is the conversa- are, are the conversations different or are you hearing a lot of the same echo that we are? Um, I think, you know, like the Calgary Arts Development Association has been working really hard to try to educate Calgarians towards being aware of artists and, uh, and, and paying them. I mean, that's, if you want art to thrive in your city, you have to support it and how you support it by giving it money. Um, the number of people in uh, this, this statistics is a bit, a couple years old, but I heard that there was like 5,000 people in Calgary that were living off of their art, strictly off of their art, which in a city of over a million, that seems like a pittance. And, uh, it's, it's a, it's a bit of a struggle. I mean, I, I'm not going to. I'm not, I, I, I never want to be negative about it, but I do feel like sometimes it, I spend a lot of my, a lot of my season, I'm out of, out of town. Like I, I can, I, I go all over Western Canada and I'm performing at all these different places and not so much like the, the place I play most in, in Calgary, as far as like a public place would be Callaway Park, you know, and I do maybe 10 or, or 15 dates a year at Callaway Park. And then otherwise, people don't see me anymore. And when they do see me, they're like, you're still around, you know? So, I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm not going to be negative about how they spend their money. But I do think, I do look at the, you know, that piece, the big topic has been that that art piece on, on the Deerfoot or whatever, you know? And I just kind of imagine if that money actually went towards artists that live in the city like that this uh, this idea of patronage is completely lost on people they don't they don't really see they just think well if you choose to be an artist well then i guess you're going to be starving because that's what artists are they're starving and and that's just the way it goes and 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 i'm i mean i'm doing my part because i I'm certainly not starving and I'm certainly not cheap when, when people book me, you know, I, I, I have a family and I have a mortgage and all those things. So I have to, I have to charge accordingly. And so I, and I do, I do get passed up for gigs because they have their people set their budgets for their entertainment and they're not realistic budgets. So what do you do? You just say, well, sorry, I'm not going to do that gig for 300 bucks or whatever. That's not going to, you know, and I and one of my favorite ways of breaking it down is, you know, if I did a hundred gigs in a year, that would be a phenomenal year for me. And if I charged three hundred dollars, that would mean I made thirty thousand dollars in a year. Which, you know, some people would go, well, that's pretty good as an artist to make thirty thousand dollars. <laughs> but you know, we all know how far that goes in this city. Yeah, I love the well, qualifier as an artist. It's like you no, know, as a <laughs> as a Calgarian, as a father. Yeah, sorry, Dave. Yeah. And I immediately start going, oh, and how much of that falls into expenses and travel and, you know. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. Really, yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and another interesting aspect, too, is, and, and I don't know if I'm touching on something or if this is the way we want the conversation to go, but um, it, a lot of charity events, they are, they're always looking for fanfare. They want to have an event. Hey, let's have a fundraising event. Yes, we can hire 
people and but they don't really want to hire they want you to do it for free because if you if they pay you then they're not getting as much money for their charity events and it's really frustrating like i i i fielded three three calls last week from people that wanted me to work for free and uh you know and i do some check exchanges there's the, that kind of thing which is fine but you know, it's not as good as getting money in the bank, you yeah. know. And uh, so that's that's something that I've been pondering. I, I'm meeting with my uh, my counselor uh, next next month uh, to talk about some ideas that I have for how we can make art artists uh, free up some money for artists to to be able to do what what they do. Like I've I mean I've been doing this for 27 years, you know, and the fact that people still don't want to pay me is, it, it just, I, I don't get it. But, you know, that's because I'm me. Be interested to hear whether your experience is the same. And I'm, I'm definitely not putting myself in your league, but uh, with some of the, the sort of the Lego shows that I do, or I'll go and I'll have a play table for kids to come and play. And so it's the same kind of idea where, you know, how much are you willing to pay and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And what I've found is that any any job, any gig that I've taken and I've agreed to a cut rate, I've regretted it. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. anything that I've charged full price for, I generally feel better about it. Anytime that you sort of go, ah, oh, well, I better maybe, maybe I don't know if they have enough money, so I'll, I'll lower my rate. Yeah. hundred percent of the time I've regretted it. Is that, would you, would you say that's the same for you? Or? Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing. And it, and it is a little bit of that, uh, um, you know, because it's the entertainment industry, uh, it's really, hard to put a number on it and uh i just wish i could you know well what you know because sometimes there are gigs that i do want to do um like there um you know i i do one every christmas for uh immigrant society so there are gigs that i do like to do for not the same rate but at the same time when you know when and Canna phones you are they still around yeah yes. I, whatever you know what i mean if, the, if they call you uh you want to have a different rate you know <laughs> like yes of course uh but it's it's a it's a tricky business and as a one-man band i have to do it all which is how is which is also tricky because i'm i'm the manager as well so uh it's it, it, it's it's a bit easier doing business when you have a buffer like well this is what the artist wants and this is yeah. what i can't really do that i can do it a little bit because i talk about the band but you know <laughs> when they get down to it they know it's just me so when you trash the hotel room, then you as me. I can't then blame you as the manager has to go and explain to the hotel what what the band did. <laughs> I can't blame the drummer. <laughs> you know, so I, I really love that exchange that you two just had because I mean it's it's kind of the, it's where business the you know the overlap on the Venn diagram right business and art but um, it's it's always funny to me like the 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 objective or the uh, you know what the, what the person on the other side wants right so. Dan, with you talking about charity charity fundraisers, and they'll say, "Well, you know, can you come and play for free?" It's sort of like, what are you trying to do? Save however much money, or are you trying to uh, get like book really awesome entertainment? You can't really do both, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah. you know, and it's like a lot of times when when someone would come to you for uh, come to you as a solution. Hey, Dan, we're looking for some entertainment for our company Christmas party. They they play the negotiation so close to their vest when what they should do is tell you 
the honest answers to all of your questions, and then you can mm-hmm. help them get this thing booked by 3 p.m. So, for example, right. if you just said, hey, what's your budget? And they said, we yeah. don't have a big budget. It's $2,000. And then you'd say, cool. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll do it for this much, and you can also get some balloon animals for the kids. So I got right. a friend who does that at a rate that will fit in here. Right. But they never, ever do that. They never, no, ever don't. do. Yeah. No. What's your budget? Yeah, they never answer that question. <laughs> but they should. But the funny thing about it is, right? It's like, for I get that there's a sense of, um, you know, if you ask a barber if you need a haircut, the answer is always yes, right? So that's what the fear is. If if I if you normally book for a thousand, and then you say what's your budget, and they say two thousand, well, suddenly you're going to ask for two thousand dollars. But the, yes. the reality is that if you say if you normally book for a thousand and you say what's your budget and they say two thousand then you'll say okay well you know I'll do it for you might give yourself about 200 bucks you'll be happy to do that gig for a thousand but you'll 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 book it every year yes <laughs> yes yeah you're right um i there was a i this kind of goes back to a long quite a while ago when people were still reading the herald there was an article in there about um, about this group and they were all, it was all doctors and nurses and lawyers in this group and they were called, they're called ad hoc. I don't even know if they're still around, but anyway, the article was about how wonderful these people were because they were, they were just happy to be playing. And so anybody that needed their music at their fundraisers, these guys were happy to go and and do that because, you know, they're all lawyers and doctors and they don't uh, give a crap. And, and, and I sent back an editorial saying that's all great for those guys, but it's too bad that they're, they probably don't even think of this, but they're actually taking money out of my pocket in a sense, because, you know, they are willing to do it for free. If everybody said, no, we're not doing anything for free ever. Then my, my, the battle would be half, half one, you know, but obviously in the industry that I chose, that's never going to happen. There's always going to be people that are looking for exposure, blah, blah, blah. Um, you're not going to get your 27 years worth of experience of entertaining a crowd, but whatever, it's going to be noise. And at least they're even then there, at least you're, you could say, well, at least they're bringing in live entertainment. They could just plug their iPod into the corner and, and just have that as their entertainment. So or or pay someone to plug their iPod and plug it in. Yeah, <laughs> which exactly. happens most often, right? So, uh the variety show. So, how did you get involved with uh with the variety show? Uh well, um a friend of mine, Tim Tamashiro, who uh is quite well known around the city, he uh he, it was his brainchild to uh, bring a variety show to the uh Ironwood and um he had me on the show one time. And, uh, and afterwards I've always been somewhat fascinated by variety shows because, uh, I grew up watching, you know, the Sonny and Cher show and, and, uh, you know, I, and, and as, as I became a street performer, whenever a group of street performers get together, a variety show inevitably happens, um, especially with producers and, and things like that, they'll have a cabaret or a variety show. So Tim asked me to come on his show and, uh, I went on and we had a great time. We were riffing on, he's, he's a great entertainer. And, uh, so we were having, he, he, he's a master nose flautist. And so we were having lots of fun, uh, with that. 
And uh, later on, I, I took him out for a coffee because I wanted to know what his intentions were with the show. Uh, and also, uh, I said, well, you know, I, I, I sort of have a unique place in the city where I kind of straddle the music uh, musicians as well as the variety entertainers because I'm kind of both. And I said, if you need any help getting acts, I can uh, always recommend people or suggest people to you. And he was appreciative of that. And he said, yeah, that sounds great. And then a few months later, he, uh, he asked me if I was interested in taking over the show. And uh, it didn't take me very long to think about it because it was something that I really... Um, when, when Michael Green died a couple years ago, mm. um, he, he was uh, one of the curators of the One Yellow Rabbit um, I sort of took it upon myself that I wanted to, um, I wanted to bring more culture to the city and I wanted to, uh, be more of a producer of culture. And so this was, this fit perfectly into my, my new mandate of, uh, trying to do that. Cause he was, uh, in my, my mind, he was a, a great person for the city and, uh, he brought, he, he helped a lot of people out and he, he, uh, he was he just did a great things for the art and, and losing him was a big void in the city. And, and I thought, well, if I could do even just a small part, I'd, I'd be happy doing that. And, uh, so he asked Pat McIntyre, uh, the, the owner of the Ironwood, if, uh, what he thought about, uh, handing the show over to me. And Pat said, Dan Dugay, I love that son of a bitch. So that's how the story goes. And uh, so I started last January and um, yeah, basically I've been uh, bringing in four acts every, every show, more or less four acts. And, and it's basically all been people in my Rolodex, um, if I can use that old term, um, just people that I know, like I've know I know lots of people. I've had a couple people from uh, Edmonton uh, come and do it, but for the most part, it's been all local local acts and it's amazing we have lots of uh lots of people out there that do interesting things uh the show coming up next week i don't want to scare anybody off but we've got a reptile guy coming on which is you know vintage uh variety show you know johnny carson kind of stuff where uh, uh so we have that and and we have the uh world uh, the canadian representatives for the world karaoke championships they just came back from helsinki uh and and this is so already they, an amazing lineup i'm sorry but you've already got me <laughs> this is wicked yeah <laughs> a reptile guy and the uh, duet for the world champion karaoke they they didn't they didn't win but they uh they did a great job representing us uh and they're they're actually uh, friends of mine they they sing in rev 52 so uh that's how I know them. And then I have um, uh, the great Balonzo. Uh, Roger, you may know Aton uh, uh, Ross. Uh, he's coming from Edmonton uh, to do some stuff. And then uh, we have a local bluesman, a uh, guy named John Rutherford. How's that? How's that? Uh, are you going to duet with, uh, with him? Are you going to sing with any of these acts, I guess, is a, is a better question? Uh, well, you know, the idea, the reason, one of the reasons why I call it the who knows is because I, uh, I, 
I kind of like that idea of people trying different things, collaborations. Like last last month, uh, we had uh, Tom Colam came on and he was playing his dulcimer, and uh, and uh, he he got up or a guy named Ralph Boyd Johnson. I don't know if you know him, but Ralph basically. Uh, forced Tomko to get up on stage with him and play his hammer dulcimer while uh, while Ralph played his songs and that was that was vintage. The expression on Tomko's face was worth the whole night <laughs> right there. But um, yeah, I mean, I like that kind of thing. Um, I had uh, Jimbo uh, uh, James Jordan, the magician, came on and uh, I asked him, "Do you need any music? Do you need background music?" And he said. Yeah, sure. So he came. So I played. Uh, I played the music while he did his magic, and those kind of things. It's just lots of fun. I like it because you never know what's going to happen. Who knows? That's what. I, that's why we call it the Who knows. Well, and I love that. Again, you know, you were just saying you're pulling all these names from your Rolodex, and you know, but half the people you just named, uh, you know, also Loose Moose or Loose Moose alumni. Yeah. Uh, Michael Green was a Loose Moose alumni. Uh, yeah. Jimbo Jordan, Tomko Lamb, still with us. And, yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. There's something great about that, I think. Yeah, there is. There, there definitely is. And uh, and I'm and uh, they the I mean I've the crowds have not been it, the place hasn't been packed. I mean it's a bit of a challenge on a Tuesday night, but it's an all ages show, and uh, so you know more and more people are are learning about it. And the the Pat and the the staff at the at the Ironwood they just love it. They said it's it's probably one of the best nights of the month them because it's just so it's so different and and some of the people you know it's it's one of those shows where you get these cult kind of you know, like people they discover it and they're just like oh i'm i'll be here next month you know and so they they come every month and which is great you know you need more of those kind of people that um you know it's nice if people come once or twice or whatever but it's great when people are they they see the value of it and it's not an expensive night out and it's always a good time yeah, and it's also really good food and beer at that place too. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah, no, I've I've been I've uh, I've been to it, and it's you know you're right. It's it's refreshing because it's not um, you're not just going to a, another bar to see another band. Like it's a really refreshing uh, form of entertainment, I would say. And um, yeah, I mean, like I don't know, I haven't been to a bad show at the Ironwood, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think it's a perfect. I mean. One of the reasons why I'm interested in variety shows is I think it's a perfect format for the the new generation who, you know, like my kids have a hard time listening through a whole song sometimes. I'm like, would you <laughs> let the song finish, please? You know, so it's one of those, it's a great show for that because, you know, it's 20 minutes and then you're on to the next thing. So uh, their attention, if you have a short attention span, it's the perfect show for you. <laughs> I'm just laughing because uh, I was telling Roger earlier tonight, and this ties back into the karaoke as well. I pulled out a little karaoke machine I got for my eight-year-old last year at Christmas. So I figure it's close enough to Christmas. We pull it out, start putting some songs on, but uh, I don't know the words to some of the songs he knows, right? They're they're hip modern songs. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just started freestyle rapping in between, <laughs> <It's> like making <laughs> stuff up. He didn't like that at all. <laughs> no, man, you're a cool dad. <laughs> you're cool that's cool improvising and that's what it's about all right i love it well hey dan thanks so much for for joining us on the podcast yeah, this thank week you. on the national talkie league thanks a lot guys i really uh, i really appreciate it and uh you know i've listened to quite a few of your podcasts and i enjoy uh 
I enjoy it. It's a, it's a great thing for the city and I hope, uh, I hope you're getting lots of uh, listeners. Oh, dozens. We're racking up dozens of them. Oh, awesome. And have- I love Yolanda. Can you play some of that for me? Oh, Johannes? Yeah, you want to hear Johannes. some Johannes on the way out of here? Absolutely. National Talkie League, the there only podcast that matters. We should, we should get him to phone in your variety show. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks a lot, guys. And uh, best of luck. And if you guys want to, I don't know if you guys have an act, but if you're interested in coming on the show, you're you're both welcome. Perfect. So just you know what, throw the details out right at the end here, Dan. Like the the date, the place, uh, the time, and the amount of money, the cost of the ticket. It's uh, November 28th at the Ironwood Stage and Grill uh, down in Inglewood, and it's uh, 20 bucks, and it starts at 7:30. Beautiful. All right, Dan. Thanks a ton. Thank you very much. Good luck, guys. Yeah, there you go. Catch uh, Dan's uh, show at the Ironwood. You'll have a good time. And Dave has a secret word to include in your review this week. Yeah, I was just going to say, if you liked it, leave us a five-star review. If you could include the word Godfather in the review, that would be an awesome thing to hear. All right. We'll catch you next time. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to the National Talking League. Show notes from this episode can be found at nationaltalkingleague.com. Support for this podcast comes from you. Please share it on social media. Give a five-star review in your favorite podcast store. And connect with us on Facebook. On behalf of Roger Kincaid and Dave Ware, thank you.